Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux podcast. Welcome to episode 94 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of three allegedly semi-intelligent guys discussing our passion for Linux. Now, I'm Zeb, and I'm especially pleased to welcome back Noah for another show. I now have a truly intelligent guy I can converse with. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. That's so nice of you. Zeb, good to see you. How are you today, Noah? I'm good. How are you gentlemen doing? Good, good, good. Fantastic. Also with me today are my two friends and co-hosts, the ever sesquipedalian Michael. How yep. are you this week? Did he just call you a name? I don't know what that means, but I'm going to agree to it blindly and <laughs> say yes. Yep. I'm, I'm doing, doing great. Good, good, good. And the always exuberant Ryan, how are you? Uh, see, that word I understood. I'm doing great because uh, the Mozilla IoT thing's still working, man. Nice. <laughs> is, is he going to pester us with that the whole show? The whole yes. time. Yes. Every time I have a good idea. <laughs> yep. I also <laughs> like the fact that there's a there's a the brain connected to the lamp too. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the twister. <laughs> yep. Okay, so it would be rude not to start with our guest presenter Noah. So, what have you been up to this week that you'd like to tell us about? That's been an exciting week. I uh, I have been, we're lining up a bunch of interviews to do like this marathon run of my program, the Ask Noah Show, um, in the next week or so. And so we've got a number of cool interviews that lined up. So I've been spending actually the majority of my time in the studio, either pre-recording them or talking to the guests about what they're going to say when they come live on the air. So today, I have, for example, I had a chance to have a brief conversation um, with Fred Gleason from the Rivendell Audio Project, and he's going to come on the program probably either in the next couple of days or early next week. And he's going to talk to us about how you can do professional broadcasting on Linux. And if you don't have the skills or the time to set that up, he will pre-build you a Linux appliance specifically for broadcasting and ship it to you. That is awesome. Nice. Michael, can you take advantage of that, please? Well, well, I'll think about it. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) So that leads us nicely into Michael. And what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I've just been uh, setting up some more stuff for for uh, OBS and things like that, and lot, lots of stuff to change around. Um, in order to incorporate four cameras, I decided to uh, really manipulate how I'm going to show like the visuals of the the show and the like the visuals of the websites and the stuff like that. So I want to make sure that I got that ready before we started, and uh, I'll do that in post. Yes. <laughs> So none of it works. No, it don't work. <laughs> Let me translate for our audience. Yeah, it don't work yet. And then last but not least, Ryan, who's always up to something. So what have you been up to this week? Well, listen, besides tying additional lights into the Mozilla IoT, we've got a Wi-Fi light hooked up now along with the switch that runs another lamp and kind of just testing with power outages we've been having in this area weekly how – the, the ability for this device to pick up once the power comes back on, on its own, and which devices kind of recuperate the fastest with that. Every device with the Mozilla IoT, the second the Raspberry Pi comes back on after power loss, reconnects except for one, and that is the dome motion sensor. So I do have some videos out there about it, but that would be one piece of product I suggest not to get with the Mozilla IoT, but everything else connects immediately. And I built the Arch XFCE i3 hybrid. So you guys know I did this Frankenstein with Fedora, where we took Fedora, put i3 on it, then we took the XFCE panel, stuck it in i3. So when you're lazy, you've got a nice panel with a whisker menu. When you're not feeling lazy, you still got all your key bindings. I did the same thing with Arch. I have it out there on my GitHub. 
So if you're feeling brave, want to play with some of it, you can go check out on my GitHub and play with the Arch XFCE i3, which it works well enough that I'm on it right now. So Oh, that. so you're saying that you use Arch? Uh, yeah, just in case anybody was wondering, I do want to get that out there. Um, I use Arch. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, so we wanted to switch it up ever so slightly this week. So we're going to add this to the beginning of the show as well as mention it at the end because some listeners might not necessarily make it all the way to the end. And what we wanted to say is that we do love our patrons. Um, we just wanted to give them a special shout out for their support. Um, and if you're not aware and you're listening to the show and you're not a patron, we do a live show for our patrons to come and join us. And if you want to be part of the show, you can join for as little as $1. And I can't say it as well as Ryan. So, Ryan, what's $1 that? is darn near free. It's darn near free. So you might as well join up and you get to see behind the scenes and all the mistakes. If you think we make mistakes in post-production, you should see <laughs> live. Holy moly. So if you want the worst possible version of the show, pay $1 and you'll get it. <laughs> Sounds good to it's me. Perfect. Yep. All, All right. right. So Ryan, email time. What yes. have you got so we got a brilliant email here from Chris, and it is so brilliant because I almost want to start with the PS part of his email, but but no, I we won't. don't think PSs. You, well, we need to because this one's no. particularly brilliant. So Chris <laughs> says that he's coming back to Linux after ten years away. He's away from the family for ten years, but we will always accept you back. Uh, he's partially Absolutely. blind, and back when the Linux world transitioned from yield straight X11 environments like FVWM to desktop environments like GNOME and KDE, it became almost impossible for me to work in Linux because the UI elements were too small and there is no easy way to enlarge them. However, with recent versions of Ubuntu, they've added the missing puzzle piece, key-corded full-screen zoom that drove me to Mac 10 years ago. It has been a delight returning to Linux world. It's grown so much, which is true. Just in the two years I've been in it, it's grown incredibly. Uh, it's grown so much while I was away in all the best ways. I'm an engineer for Amazon Web Services by day and tinkerer at night, utterly blown away at all the amazing Linux apps that are available these days. So I was wondering if you might speak to accessibility when you review other Linux distributions in particular, um, do they have things like full screen zoom, large text, and screen reader support that you can enable from the login screen? Thank you so much for all you do, especially Ryan. Ryan, you are great uh, for the community. I used to co-host the podcast, In It Podcast, so I know how much work goes on behind the scenes that Ryan does to make something like this happen. So just a fantastic email all the way through. Could could you read the part about Ryan just one more one more time? I didn't. I, well, my is, my earphones cut out just a little bit. <laughs> well, th this is interesting because in the PS part, he <laughs> says Ryan, feel free to sprinkle. Ryan is great liberally through the email whenever you read it. So I love Chris. <laughs> I love him. Um, he yeah, also that, says, given that Team Red has so many advantages, how come Team Green seems to rule the roost for high end gaming laptops? This is actually a real issue that I'm getting a lot of questions on that the Ryzen laptops are just starting to come out now. The manufacturers are starting to release them, but he's correct. There's very, very little options in comparison with the NVIDIA ones. So yeah. I think the reason is it takes a long time to change a manufacturing process. I think a lot of the manufacturers were probably holding off to see if Ryzen was going to hold on to its popularity and also its, its advantages uh, that it's had lately with its CPUs. So you're going to start seeing a lot more. We're starting to hear a lot more of these laptops coming out. So you just wait. Team Red is taking over. 
Don't worry about that. Or maybe they were just waiting for the new 20 series card so they can put them in their laptops because they know they're going to sell. It's probably it's probably just the fact that, that AMD's only been viable for like, what, four years? So mm, that's probably mm-hmm. why. Yeah, I mean, really, they haven't had a... The only time you got an AMD before was for budget stuff because they really, they were too hot for laptops. Most of them ran way too hot and they were in budget laptops mm-hmm. now with the rise in chipset everything's changed i think it's taken a long time for the manufacturers to adjust and they're starting to make those deals with amd and we're starting to see laptops come out so we're going to see that playing field shift yeah. uh, i predict here they've been enlightened exactly they've been enlightened but brilliant email chris and by the way brilliant suggestion on accessibility because it's something i've never really taken even the review mm-hmm. that i do to look at or to talk about and it's very important clearly here because at one point you had to leave Linux because it wasn't there. So that's something we definitely incorporate in our discussion. We'll add that to our checklist, absolutely. Yeah. So as usual, it always brings up the question, how do you use Linux? So send us an email on how you use Linux and the applications that you found to accomplish that the work you do to comments at destinationlinux.org. And uh, who knows, you may even make it into the show. There you go. So, Michael, on to some news. Yep, absolutely. And first up, we got Farron OS has a new snapshot available. And this is uh, fittingly titled October Snapshot. And this is a this is a, a lot of changes in this particular release. Uh, Farron OS is a, friend of, is a friend of the show, and we've mm-hmm. talked about it before. There's It used to be a cinnamon-based, like, mint derivative distribution. And they did a lot of interesting modifications to that setup. But they're now kind of transitioning away from that into an Ubuntu base that uses Plasma, but not using Kubuntu as the base. So the the way they're addressing it is is really interesting. And they also made it where it's possible to do a like a update base system where you can go from this the mint version to the Ubuntu version. I'm not really sure how that works, but it's a really interesting idea. Um, uh, Zeb, you said you had you looked at this for recently, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always tried to to follow Farron when I found out. I've probably been about two years ago now that he's at that time he was actually a fourteen year old student. Oh wow! Making his own OS, and I'm sitting here at fifty six, thinking, "Wow, that is just stunning." Um, and he's come on leaps and bounds, and he got his Cinnamon desktop into a really good state. You could have any number of um, sort of like themes and variations of, of how you wanted it to run. Um, but then I think he got a bit panicky when people started talking about they were going to be taking away um, theming capabilities, and mm. something spooked him. So he realized that he maybe needed to, to move platforms. So he's gone head over heels um, with the KDE version. Um, and it's coming along very, very nicely. It's got mm-hmm. those firm touches that, that you know and love about him. And his attention to detail. He, he will spend days trying to get that final pixel into place before he issues that theme. So, yeah, he's doing, he's doing really well. Interesting. Yeah, he's done an interesting thing here with the Ubuntu base now that he's basically created a settings option, manage base update channel, and now you can move it away from basically Mint LTS or Ubuntu LTS and move it into like Ubuntu Mm -hmm. 18.10 base. So he's doing some really interesting things here, and one of the things I know about Farron is he's always in the community. So if we do a live show, if anybody in the community that we know does a live show, he's always there in the audience. He's always supportive. 
So maybe go check out what he's doing over there with his distro because really, really cool individual and very supportive of everyone else's work. And looks like he's doing some amazing things here. And it sure beats my childhood at 14 of playing with He-Man. He built the whole <laughs> distro. So there you go. <clears throat> yeah, sounds cool. So keeping on the KDE theme, um, we've got news that's come out from Solus that they've now got a publicly available plasma testing ISO. Um, and the ISO includes Plasma Desktop 5.14, the KDE Frameworks 5.51, the KDE Applications 18.08.2, and QT 5.11.2. Now, they've always been trying to, to play with uh, KDE, and there's a particular guy who works on Solus. It's been his little um, baby. But what I found really interesting about this is it was great to hear some news coming out of Solus other than where's Ike? Yeah. Um, that was that was like getting a little bit, oh, really? Oh, someone's got a downy on Ike again. Hey, the rest of the team are working their socks off for you guys, and they've now got, and I've actually um, installed it and had it up and running, and everything just installed and, and worked perfectly on it. So for a, a public testing ISO, it's in pretty good shape. Has anybody else tried it? Yeah, I tried it, and um, what's actually kind of funny is that I talked to someone who's, who's contributing to it, and mm -hmm. they uh, they used to work on Kubuntu when I started like contributing, and then they decided to switch to to Solus. As soon as Michael started contributing, no, listen, it it, <laughs> it sounds bad, but it gets good. Okay, the point was is that when they switched, they took the ideas that I gave to Kubuntu and also implemented them in Solus. So the Solus version looks has the same hybrid approach where the panels and the windows are are like um, they're they're designed so that they they're they're useful they're they work with every with the, with the default themes of every application and at the same time the panel isn't just constantly super bright in your face so there there's a lot of stuff that they're doing and i and i'm really happy to see that more people are adopting that kind of approach of polishing the plasma instead of just shipping by default because yeah the default no yeah and just a quick question for you michael because i know you're the, you're the plasma expert here I, well those different things that I talked about, the plasma, the frameworks, the applications, mm -hmm. are they the latest and greatest or are they just a yes. couple of levels down to be really stable? Those are the latest, actually. Those oh, are wow. So they're the, pretty cutting edge. Yeah, the Plasma 5.14 has released like a, two weeks ago, I think. Uh, might have been a week ago. I don't remember exactly. But um, the frameworks is, is brand new. The, um, the applications... Uh, the applications are, I think, from August, but that's the latest batch anyway. Mm -hmm. So, and the latest version of Qt, I think that was like two weeks ago. So, like, this is pretty pretty up to date. Well, he's actually, actually they're working on another thing here too with Solus. They're hosting a Hackfest, which mm -hmm. that that for our patrons, that's tomorrow. Uh, we record on Fridays, but basically, that Hackfest, they're working on Jack support specifically within Solus. Now, this really caught my attention because I've had a lot of issues with Pulse Audio and audio equipment. Although I was curious, Noah, have you ever tried Jack or do you get along all the professional audio stuff you do? Do you get along with Pulse just fine with all your equipment? I've done both. I've done, I've used Pulse to do some audio over IP stuff. And um, I have played with Jack a little bit, although I tried to get native Jack to work and it was complicated to me. So what I ended up doing was using a YouTube tutorial on how to use uh, Reaper and it actually gives you what they call the matrix and you just get on the, there's a row of outputs and a column of inputs and you just put a check mark where you want an input to hit an output. And Ooh, that's my brain is trick. not real good sometimes. So the little dot thing makes sense to me. 
No, Jack yeah. is really painful to set up. In fact, I had to do a script of it. Scrap Jaw, who's a member of the community, helped me set it up initially because I couldn't mm -hmm. get the audio equipment I had to work with Pulse at all. And Jack worked perfectly with it because in Jack, you can set up all of the different settings that you need to kind sure. of interface with this equipment. But every time I distro hopped, it was like, oh gosh, I got to do this again. How do you do right. all that stuff? So yeah, the Reaper thing, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds Dude. good. Speaking of latest and greatest, Morpheus, or Morpheus Arch Linux has a new release. Now, this is a really particularly cool, it's a purpose-built version of Arch. It's purpose is for data recovery and data recovery tools. Now, as soon as I, as soon as this wound up in the dock, I actually started playing with this because I have a small little tool bag that I take with me everywhere. It sits inside of my backpack and whether I'm out at a client site, I'm in the shop or if I'm just out and about, that little tool bag is with me. And there are certain things that I have with me all the time, ability to reset Windows passwords, a live bootable hard drive, and, uh, and a lot of the tools that I carried on flash drives are included in Morpheus Arch. So some of the tools that are included are PhotoRec, DD Rescue, and Test Disk, um, which allow you to do all sorts of different testing and, and, and file recovery. And so I actually written this ISO to a flash drive, played with it for a little bit, and liked it so much that it is now in my, what I call my essentials bag, comes with me nice. everywhere. Nice. Yeah, pretty cool. Nice. Um, and you've only just sort of like discovered it's there. So you're not quite right. sure how, how quickly they keep it up to date, but I'm guessing Arch, it will be pretty, pretty relevant. Right. And so, and the thing is, there is a time for rock solid stability, right? There is a time to have a system where you don't want changes to it. Um, the machine that sits in here that we do the show on every week, obviously I don't want that machine changing from week to week, but when it comes to data recovery, specifically when it comes to searching for, there's always a different kind of file system or a different way that you might have to attack a problem. Um, and so the ability to have that kind of distribution, that kind of appliance, if I want to call it that, to constantly have updates means that when you're out in the field and actually doing work, the, the, the technology is outpacing you and outpacing your problems. And so you don't have to fight that battle. Yeah, yeah that's a good nice. approach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way was, of looking at it. Yeah. And what was interesting is when I saw this article um, in there, it reminded me that I'd just seen another recovery ISO that I wasn't aware out there. And that was on the Antigos community spins. <laughs> someone's, someone's created an Antigos recovery ISO again with a raft of tools I haven't had a, a good look at it yet so what I might do is is compare the two and then see which one would be the best to take but hey it's nice. like a little eight, eight gigabyte ISO just so just well eight gigabyte USB with your ISOs on so just take them both out and then yeah. you can work with whichever tool works yeah. best for you. I, I love having a ton of USBs to record to for recovery for live Linux sessions if I'm out and about and things like that my bag looks ridiculous usually because it's got <laughs> 20 or 30 USBs in it, but I did run this recently and guess what I recovered? I recovered Linus Torvalds because he's back. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like that? Trans nice. That was amazing. Right? That yeah. was good. So Linus has officially come back. It was in the 4.19 kernel notes where Greg Hartman basically said to Linus, I'm handing the kernel tree back to you you have the joy of dealing with the merge window and put a smiley <laughs> face there for him. So this is big news, right? Linus is back and we've covered stories on it. He says he's not going to be a cuddly teddy bear, but he may be a little less colorful in his replies. And uh, some of the thoughts on there that he wasn't going to come back should be put to rest now because he's here. 
Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's the the best thing about it is that you don't have to worry about whether it's you know up in the air or not because it's no longer up in the air. Yep. I I admittedly was one of the people that were was concerned in the future of the Linux kernel without Linus because. I thought it would be a politically difficult move to bring him back, given the fact that I'm not convinced he can control himself. And I still don't know that I necessarily believe that he's going to control his language to the extent that we want to believe he's going to control his language. Um, But I think that the fact that he's making an effort will be recognized, if not by, you know, the extremists, certainly by the Linux majority, the, the majority of the community, I think will recognize that he's making an effort. And they'll see that. Well, I love how he solved the problem. It's so it's such a programmer mindset of how he solved it. Because what I read is he wrote a filter, yes, to filter his emails. So correct, he's gonna say what he wants still. Right, it's just the server will take care. Can you can you just imagine though it, when that goes wrong? Like how exactly? So, like how would that come through exactly? What the are you talking about? Your is you know like just, just, just there's just like there's pockets all over the email it's like that eh, doesn't really he probably sense. replace it with like uh some like unicorn or something like that yeah exactly. just random words what the it. unicorn is wrong with your with your brownies <laughs> yeah. exactly well, well the email will be hello greg regards torvalds <laughs> everything else will be cut out <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So, uh next up is uh something else that's been interesting this this uh this week and that is a new version of Ubuntu 18.10 has been available for the Raspberry Pi. Now, this is being not by made by the by Canonical or the Ubuntu team, but made by uh Arn Exton, who's also known for making RaspX and a lot of other things. And uh this is a new version of RaspX that is based on the Ubuntu 18.10. And sometimes you'll see like um, the first distro that uses something, usually like a beta version. It's typically some uh, from Arnexton. And uh, this is an interesting thing. So people who want to use um, Raspberry Pi and use and not don't want to use Raspbian, and they want to use an Ubuntu base, uh, this is an opportunity to use that. I don't know how well GNOME would work on a Raspberry Pi. Problem? I don't know. Uh, but there is another. You could use Ubuntu Mate uh, Raspberry Pi version as well. The the mm. It is kind of interesting to see that these uh, these he's working on these because I kind of question how how much work he can do and how much support he can do for this particular distro because he makes like fifteen to twenty different distros and I don't see how oh, he wow. could can he could keep up with all of those and yeah. like actually keep security updates and all this other stuff because like it, it seems like there's a new like he'll have a new push every month or so. So I'm not really sure how you could do that. Well, I must admit, Michael, that was a concern of mine. I first saw run Ubuntu 18.10 on a Raspberry Pi, and I thought, yeah, great, we're going to get some of this. And then I read the second line, and I thought, hang on a minute, that's the guy who does X-Tix. Yeah. That looks great, but just doesn't ever quite cut it. So there's a little caveat there, people. If you're going to try it, and the beautiful thing about the Raspberry Pi is you can try it, and if it goes wrong, just whack another image on there. Um but yeah, I've always found his um, distros to be different and very, very, no, but they're, they're really good looking. But he does something weird with his PPAs that I can never quite work out. So you can't add anything to it. So you run with what he's got because he's locked mm. down the PPAs and I'm not technically enough. So you guys are that. saying he needs a case of maybe focusing on one or two projects and kind of getting that in there. And Definitely, that can be yeah. fair feedback. I like what he's doing here. Now, my mm-hmm. son runs Raspbian OS because you don't have to do it on a Pi on his laptop. He's five. That's his laptop. Got to raise him right. 
And obviously I love using Raspbian on the Raspberry Pi. I think it's a fantastically light and great operating system for Raspberry Pi. Speaking of which, the Raspberry Pi is just amazing. If you don't have one, mm -hmm. go pick up three because you're going to need three with all the projects you can do with them. They are just So I don't awesome. know if you're joking or being sarcastic, but I legitimately have a little bin down in my basement and it's labeled unused pies. And yeah. there's, I have a couple of them on hand. And if I use one up for a project, then I, I order another one and then it goes back into the bin. But I always have a little stash of them because, well, just the other day we were working for an office and they asked me for something simple. They said, what we want, they have this big warehouse and they want people to go to lunch. And, but the problem is everybody kind of pads their lunchtime. So the half an hour lunch break turned into 40 minutes, turns into 45, turns into like an hour, hour and 10 minutes. So somewhere between 30 and minutes and an hour, that's what they're, that's what they're taking for lunch. And they said, can we have a system that just plays a tone at a given time? And then that tells everybody to go to lunch and then it plays a tone again. That way we know if you're sitting in the break room after the tone, then your, your lunchtime is up. And uh, we did that with a pie and at a cron job. And uh, it's, it's, it's very straightforward and, and hacked together, but we basically generated a sine wave, created a little wave file, put it in there and cron plays out that file at the appropriate, at the two appropriate times. And we did that with a pie, but it was one of those yep. things that it was just off the cuff. And I said, yeah, sure. Let me run down to my, my little bin, grab a pie, set it up in 15 minutes or whatever, gave it to him and then ordered a replacement for it. Yep. <laughs> nice. It's ridiculously flexible. And I, I, someone, one of our patrons said only three, I'm up to eight. And so I'm yeah. <laughs> right now on lots of raspberry pies, like a, an eBay, they call it if you have more than one of the same thing, a lot. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm bidding on as big a lots as I can because there are so many projects I want to do and I'm tied down to just two. I want a bunch of these things because like mm -hmm. you said, you can set them up for these. First of all, they cost nothing in comparison mm -hmm. and they're so robust and powerful with the projects. And, you know, even in this, uh, what he's done with Ubuntu 18.10, it's amazing to me that that little ARM architecture mm -hmm. can run any variation of Ubuntu 18.10, which just shows you, number one, how well-programmed Ubuntu is, and number two, uh, how powerful those little uh, Raspberry Pis have become. So, cool project. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, only, like, two myself, but the the issue with mine is that they're... Um, that they're the uh, model, the model B version, like the really old mm. version that don't even have, like, the four USBs. So, oh, so the model two, then. Yeah. The, no, the, the there's gen. the B and then there's a B plus. I have the regular B that doesn't have Right, but have there's the but the the third generation though, I don't think there is a model of the third generation that doesn't come with all four ports. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's oh, it's this generation. Yeah, it's the second generation. It's one of the old yeah, ones okay. that doesn't have a gig mm -hmm. RAM or anything. It's like the 512 RAM. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, sure. but it's still like surprisingly you can still use that version to run like sure. a Kodi interface and like play videos just fine and then if you uh, get the latest versions which cost the same thing um they they're twice as powerful and you can do a ton more with you know this a uh, very cheap a piece of hardware and like mm -hmm. there, there's always something you can use them for and i have them doing ridiculous things like managing different sync servers and stuff because while it's not going to be holding any files it can manage like the be the brain for it as well so there's a ton now, has of anybody to tried the competitors to raspberry pi because uh, every time i mention yeah. Raspberry yeah. Pi, people say, oh there's these other ones out there Oldroid or arduino yeah sure yeah are they any good no <laughs> I mean, no, they are. They are. They're, 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 it's, they're different tools for different jobs, right? So right. there's, there's the Raspberry Pi is legitimately a computer. Like that's what mm -hmm. it is. It's a desktop computer that they've condensed down into a tiny little board. And that's how you use it. A lot of the quote unquote competitors to the Raspberry Pi, they're really more like a programmable 
device. It, it, they, they do like things. I, and the best example I can think of was, and I think we used an, I think we used an Arduino for this, but I wanted to make a, uh, a pedal that I could step on for mumble and activate a push to talk. And so essentially what I needed a, something to do was emulate pushing, I think my right control key, but I needed it into a pedal. So of course my hacker mind space just goes, well, go buy a Logitech keyboard and tear it apart and solder two wires to the control key and that, you know, and then run it down to a foot pedal. That's and awesome. his, a friend of mine <laughs> looked at, he's like, what is that? And I'm like, that is the way I control Bumble. And he's like, no, we're going to do this with an Arduino. And so he helped me program this Arduino that ran to a foot controller and I could then control Mumble with it. Um, and that's just, I mean, you could do that with a Pi through the GPIO, but that's not really what the Pi is designed for, nor would an Arduino be designed to run Ubuntu 1810 with no. Gotcha. Uh, so I would say that they're, I would say that they're different devices for different purposes. I will tell you, if you're looking for a like an enterprise grade arm system for doing, you know, probably even for the Bell system that I set up, probably should have gone that way. There are companies that make arm computers that are basically clones of the Raspberry Pi, except they're designed with standards so that, for example, the Raspberry Pi notoriously terrible for working with a bunch of different power supplies. And so those yeah. enterprise variants don't have that. Nice. Very cool stuff. Thank you for that insight. Yeah, just just uh, hold on, just a quick uh, update. I was incorrect on the. Uh, it uses LXDE, not GNOME, mm. so that's slightly. It not changes as, everything, Michael. Well done. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't <laughs> change everything. Yeah, <laughs> now it's like eighteen oh nine. Exactly. Uh, Zeb, you're a muted sir. That would be why he was all ignoring me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if it's. If it's on the older LXDE, how can he be starting with 1810? Because that's LXQT, isn't it? Yeah, but they're using it. Apparently, I guess they're just using the older packages because LXDE, LXDE is still in the repos. He's just taking mm. ah. Ubuntu 1810 as the base and then putting LXDE in. So it's kind of like um, making like a compensation approach. But I'm not really sure how well that would work out because I don't know if anyone's still maintaining LXDE in Ubuntu or whatever the, what they're doing. But I know LXDE well, is like all it's it's in the pretty much the final stages. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it a go because my pie is sitting here not doing a lot since I beat Ryan with the retro games thing that we were going. Whoa, through. whoa, whoa! <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna Nobody beat me. Got him. We're going we're gonna to move this. I I beat you with the help of the community. That's I thought we were moving on, Zeb. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are moving on. I can see that you guys have tried to. Um, persuade me here about the next piece of software news because mm -hmm. i think you all know i'm a, I'm a google fanboy boom um, and Firefox Get out. 63 <laughs> has been released the best browser so, ever yes yeah, so firefox 63 is out this week and it comes with major improvements to web extensions whatever they are um additional all the extensions <laughs> content blocking a collection of firefox settings that uses that offer users greater control over technology that can track them around the web. Well, isn't that just an ad blocker? Well, what? you wouldn't know anything about that, Zeb. Since you use Google, you want people to, to track you across the web and turn on your web no, I, I and watch what you're doing everything. and all of that stuff. So you just accept your fate yeah. and just move on. Yeah, you wouldn't <laughs> understand that stuff. We'll explain it from here. <laughs> so explain it. Take it away, boys. Yeah. Basically, what Firefox 63 has done is they are focusing, they are, uh, they're hammering down on the privacy stuff more in version 63, which I love, absolutely love seeing. So 
Users can opt out to block third-party tracking cookies or block all trackers and create exceptions through sites. So they're giving you more and more control over this thing called privacy uh, and ways that basically companies are utilizing web technology and things to track and fingerprint and find out where you're going, where you've been, what you've done on the web. And they are they're doing more now to keep you safe and have patched 14 vulnerabilities in this version of 63. And I love that that's their focus. I, I think mm -hmm. that's one of the most important things about differentiating Firefox from Google. For a while, there were performance differences. And I'll be completely honest with you. When I first started in Linux, I used Google Chrome because the performance was just so much better. That is not the case since Quantum. Since yeah. Quantum, mm -hmm. everything changed. The only thing that runs better on Google now is Google's own crappy products. That's and apparently, it. it seems like they're doing that on purpose. Yes, because they can't yeah, hide behind the, the 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 false uh, the fake news of Firefox being slower anymore. Yeah, but so, I used well, to I use it. Firefox even though it was slower, and I just accepted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I found interesting about this is um, over the previous shows, it always seemed to be sort of like negative stuff that was coming out where Firefox were going to be throwing some adverts at you that you didn't want to do and they were going to be doing all sorts of... Now, people just blew up the stuff that project. wasn't really a big deal. They just blew yeah. it up. But have you noticed with this, it's all the good stuff. It's mm -hmm. all we're going to be protecting your, you know, your privacy. We're going to be... We've patched all of these vulnerabilities. We're going to stop people blocking the content and yet we're going to make it easy for you to add your little whitelist if you want if you've got a particular website that you want mm -hmm. to allow. you know that's a brilliant point seb actually is that there was a couple of moments i remember in the show telling mozilla they're on notice there was a couple of moments there where they were making some stupid decisions this is going back to the basics. This is going back to the roots of why Firefox became popular. This, mm -hmm. this is a situation where you're seeing a release where they're focusing on the right things, right? They're not trying to put little games and things in there. Now, even with the little stuff we were talking about with, uh, what was it, Mr. Robot things and little stupid things they were doing, it's still one one thousandth of the stupid junk that runs in Chrome. So mm -hmm. it, it's like, you know, I mean, it. Yeah. it it and also most of the things they were we know what Firefox about. was supposed to focus on. Yeah. You know, the other thing is if you ever disagree with the decision that Mozilla ha makes, you're, you only have yourself to blame because all of their meetings are open. You can attend every Mozilla meeting. They webcast it. And so you can watch, I think it's the beginning of the week, Monday or Tuesday or something like that. But they broadcast their, their all of their meetings. They're open. So, yep. I mean, all of their decisions and the reasons for their decisions and the discussion behind their decisions, all available to everybody. There yep. you go. And also, when I when I first had saw that they, when they did a, the conversation about getting rid of tab groups, I was very adamant a bit against it. And then when they started explaining it, one of the developers from Marzilla was talking about how they have a better solution that they're working on, and they're going to release it in like two weeks. So I said, okay, I'll just wait and to see what happens. And then container tabs come out, and they're a thousand times better, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> so like, if you're going to replace something and it's way better, totally right. do that. But this, yep. this is also the, the, the fact that they're doing their own, the separate processes for web extensions is great because it means all extensions are now separate processes. So they can't like inter, like interconnect to each other. They can't uh, see what your tabs are doing, what you're doing on the browser unless you allow them to. And they all now have the individual controls for permissions where that you can, uh, 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 for an, exe an ex example, as an extension could say, I need to use your bookmarks. But there, it's not a requirement. It's just an optional feature if you would like. And so, like, allow me allow you this the add-on to search your bookmarks. You can go in and optionally choose that, and then give it permissions individually for that thing. That's a very cool thing that they're adding. So, I think that as far as like the privacy thing, uh, Firefox is doing it very well. 
you know, to add to that, the one of the other features that I think is underrated um, as it comes to privacy is so when you go to Facebook, for example, and Facebook wants to start scraping what every website you visit and what you're doing on those websites and how long you're there, those isolation processes make it so Facebook can't do that. Yeah, um, and, so, and you know, and, and, just do, and Firefox goes even farther than that and does the Facebook container. So that right. if you install right. the add-on, it will automatically force anytime you go to anything that's controlled by Facebook. Even Instagram will force it. So that mm-hmm. the only the only thing Facebook can track you is tabs that you are using that they own the rights to you know see your data kind of thing. Like right. they own the they own the access. So and if you are in a Facebook uh, container, you click a link and it takes you somewhere else. It will automatically take you out of that container and force you into a regular container or a no container situation. So it, like make sure that Facebook can like the least amount of possible tracking they can do is what they're trying for. Or even better, stop using Facebook. Just use that's Firefox. An, that's okay. No, that's no, an option. Perfect for you, Ryan, because you can now get yourself back on Facebook. You I will never be on that pile of blue junk that Don't, people call Facebook. Don't I, keep isolated. In theory, I'm all for you in the real world. Like, there's just there's an audience out there, right? Like, I know. we must go minister to where the sinners are. <laughs> where the sinners. <laughs> and they're on Facebook, sadly <laughs> enough. Before we get to the next story, I, there's a small short story I have to tell that kind of goes with it. So uh, some of you may have remembered the the old JB editor, Rikai, who used to edit all the videos. And he would, from time to time, send me links that we were to include in our app picks. And of course, ultimately, the decision was either mine or Chris. And so oftentimes, he would send them to me. And so he sent me this link to this program. And I looked at it and went, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Closed out of it. Like a week later, he goes, hey, you never covered this app. Here it is again. So this goes on for like six weeks. Finally, I'm in the middle of trying to write an ISO with DD and it's just not working. And I start Googling around and lo and behold, this app called Etcher, which he had sent me six times previous, turns out to be a great freaking app. And I just didn't know about it because I I didn't actually read the link that he sent me. And uh, Etcher has, since then, I've used Etcher for every time I want to write an ISO over to a USB drive and they've just released 1.4.5. So if you're not familiar with Etcher, it's a very straightforward uh, app that you it'll run on any sort of well it runs on windows mac and linux but on linux um you just double click on it and it will run it's it's um what's the packaging for it's not app flat image. pack app, app image, image. Yeah. so it just you literally double click on it and it just runs right there there's no you know package that you have to install no no repo that you have to add um this particular release has a center content independent window resolution it adds electron native file picker it also hides the unsafe mode option when you when you, uh, t- when you uh, toggle that environment variable, you can uh, use a design background or color to, to step the size ordering. Uh, a bunch of really, really cool features. Um, uh, the new GTK dark theme mode. Um, yep. I like dark apps. I just think they yep. look better, uh, more professional. But really, it uh, doesn't really matter what features they add or don't add because it was really a perfect app to begin with. And yeah, how they're just improving can, it. Yeah, yeah, right. How many features can you really pack into a thing that takes an ISO and writes it to a drive? It did that before. It does that now. Use it. Um, yeah, like some of the things they're doing is kind of interesting. They added Font Awesome. Have you ever heard of Font Awesome? I have. I just again, you know, in a drive and, Oh yeah. yeah, it's it's one of those things where I linked it to. You never look at it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. No, I just. It, <laughs> I've screwed myself. Next week, like, there's this awesome thing, Font Awesome. Well, okay, Font Awesome is an icon set, basically. So, like, yes. inst- it's an icon set for the web. So, you in- instead of having like a ton of photo of, of images 
or like this thing's called sprites, which it used to be like a giant image that had small images and you just kind of like use CSS to pick and choose which one you wanted. It does it in fonts so that it's like automatic SVG so they SVG so they can be any size, any uh, color, any orientation. They can rotate, they can do animations, all kinds of stuff. And they're like super lightweight. But what's really cool is that Font Awesome also allows you to use them on your computer so that you can take any icon that's in the thing and use it for your applications, or you could actually like turn open them in Inkscape and, and modify it's really the SVGs. It's useful in i3, to your yeah. point. So in i3, if you have pie bar and things, you could have icons within your pie bar, which will show using Font Awesome, which will show whatever you want to show there. For instance, a CPU, you could have a little icon for it and things like that. So yeah. you can incorporate it. It's really cool. Really nice. And, and and one thing that they've added, I think a lot of people don't really sort of put much attention to it because we've all got our drives that we know work. They've got the Etcher blacklisted drives. So mm. if, you, if you put your USB device into it and they know they've had a lot of problems with it, it just it just doesn't work. I can't remember if they actually pop up a little thing that goes, ah, ah, you can't use this particular USB, but it, it won't put you through the heartache of sitting there for four minutes. It burns it anyway, and then you shove it in your, your machine, and it doesn't work. So that side of it, I think, was, was really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Reliable. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know about that. Buy SanDisk drives, and you'll never have that problem. Yeah, there you go. You're not being coy, right? No, Sand I'm dead serious. I, I, I mean, the, yeah. literally, I, I, we order SanDisk drives in bulk because they just always work for everything. I don't know if we've ever had one fail. And that's including dropping them off of roofs, running them through you know, the washer wow. multiple times. Yeah, they're just really great drives. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So is, if you're using a SanDisk drive, you may be using one to store a movie that you edited and maybe won an Emmy with, like this tool called Lightworks. Totally. Which is for Linux, but they have a new version out, 14.5, which is also Yes, they Linux. do. And this Lightworks is so good, in fact, that it's been used to edit films like Pulp Fiction, Batman, and The King's Speech. So those are wow. all huge, huge, massive movies. And I think there are some others as well. I don't use Lightworks, but Noah, a little birdie told me you do. I do. I, uh, I use Lightworks for everything. In fact, I have their highest tier uh if you call it membership, I guess. And I have bought all specific Lightworks hardware to control all of my Lightworks editing rigs because that just, I think it's some of the most fantastic video editing software out there. Um, Lightworks, if, if you haven't used it before, then they've recently made a change. They've gone from their, tra like the traditional, what they call the floating layout, which was their windows all over the place and you could arrange them in any way you want to what they're now calling the static layout. Um, and the static layout is you can't really arrange the, um, the way that the, the workflow is, is set up and they just kind of want you to, to work with it that way. And it goes through a, a staging process. So the first stage is importing the clips. The second stage is, you know, editing the clips. And then the third stage is publishing the clips and they've really gone to a clip based workflow. This re latest release, um, adds a number of really cool things. The most important thing that I, that, at least that I've noticed is the improved support for AC3, AC3, A3C, yeah, AC3. AC, AC audio. And the, the problem that we had was most consumer grade video cameras record in AVC formats, a compressed version of like H.264 and, um, the, the problem with that is, is that AC3 audio oftentimes would develop these little like I don't know, hiccups almost where it would just blip when you would try to, when you would try to edit it. And uh, in the latest version, they have solved that. That's been the, the biggest thing that I've noticed because I'm no longer having to transcode the audio and then resync it up. Um, but 
Lightworks is a phenomenal video editor. If you're ever looking for a professional grade tool on Linux, Lightworks is the way to go for video editing. And recently, um, they also added the feature to export the audio over into Reaper, which is a professional digital audio workstation. And so you're able to take that, you're able to take your audio out of Lightworks, put it into Reaper, edit it, and then bring it back into Lightworks all seamlessly because Very the two nice. projects are working together. Important to note, neither of those two are open source. So yeah. there's the disclaimer. Yeah, Reaper's really but, good too. And they also added a uh, Blackmagic raw support, which is which yep. is really cool. Um, I, I would like to point out the, the interface thing is... And is a is a very highly debated topic in the sense of how yes. Lightworks works, and the sense that I prefer the static approach, not necessarily that I prefer the way they lay it out. I prefer <laughs> that they have a layout, right? Um, because when you have the the floating system, um, it's basically a desktop inside of your desktop, Correct. and you have to you have to know what you want to use and where to push position it and all this other stuff before you can even do anything. So mm -hmm. what I want is them to give me the static version as mm -hmm. a default for the floating version so I can change stuff, but at least have like a starting point. Starting point. point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, uh, if I may, the reason that they did that was uh, twofold. One is they wanted to let you use Lightworks to do any one of the number of things. So, for example, when you get into Hollywood-grade films, most times you don't – it, like when you're doing a consumer grade video, oftentimes you'll import the, the video, you'll do all the editing, then you do the color correction, then you add the effects and then the export and you do all of that inside of your NLE. In professional Hollywood grade movies, they don't do that. There's a color correction guy and he's got color correction software and he does all of that there. And then you've got your sound effects guy and he adds all that and a special effects guy and he does all that. And uh, then really the NLE is just compiling these clips together. And so the advantage of that, that, uh, operating system like as you so eloquently put it operating system like layout is that you can do any one of the things at any one of the times um, and the other thing is it becomes trans uh, operating system transparent right because lightworks in mac os looks like lightworks in windows looks like lightworks mm -hmm. in linux because it literally absorbs all of your screen real estate and you work within lightworks right i mean i like the idea of having it i just would like to be able to have a sure a, 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 an nle that looks like an nle to start yeah that's all yeah Lightworks is confusing, no matter which layout you use. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> but so it, it costs it is about pretty twenty-five bucks per month, or one hundred and seventy-five per year, or you can get an outright it's, license for four thirty-eight. Kind of. Yeah, that's so with the 1080p export. If you're if you're okay with 720p export, or if you sign up for a Vimeo account, you can get 1080p export for free with the free version, and that costs nothing. Ooh. Ooh, no, no. And Vimeo's is not that expensive either. I, I think I think it's less it's than it's free. No, you can sign up for Vimeo for free, and then you can export your videos uh, as long as it's linked to your Vimeo account. 1080p doesn't huh. cost anything. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Wow. That was good to know. There. Um, also, another cool thing that's coming out re uh, soon, or maybe not soon, but they they announced it recently. And there's a. Uh, I am very interested in this, especially because of the the desktop ex environment that they've decided. To, well, not desktop, but anyway, Pine sixty four has mentioned that they are considering, and they've pretty much announced that they're going to be doing this. They've they've kind of said that that people can sign up for a developer kit. But they haven't really. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen a way to like a path to actually sign up. But um, I'll look some look more into that, but it's really cool uh, because Pine sixty four, the same people who make the Pine sixty four uh, board as well as the Pine book, and uh, I happen to have in my possession. I don't own it, but in my possession is a Pine book, and they, it is a very high quality product for such a little bit amount of money. Uh, there are some caveats to it, but overall, it's a it's surprisingly good. 
the the phone that they're talking about making is a as a, a budget Linux smartphone, and the the phone would be using the KDE Plasma environment, uh, using Plasma Mobile. So that, that by itself, excited, right? that that by itself is a reason for me to be interested. <laughs> so uh, it's amazing well, that they're always going after this hundred dollar price tag because uh, it, it's really become their, their kind of niche, right? That they go after that. And I think it's a very alluring price tag because there, there were a lot of moments where I was just going to get a pine book because it's a hundred dollars. I don't need it. It's just, it's a hundred dollar <laughs> computer. Like why not? And the same thing I feel about this budget Linux smartphone. Uh, it's supposed to have maybe two gigs of Ram and 16 gigs of storage. And what a great little phone to bring around. I remember you telling a story one time, Noah, on your show about having extra Ting SIM cards to hand mm-hmm. out to people when they needed them. And this kind of reminded me, like, at this price, if your friend broke their phone and didn't have one or you broke your own, having this in a drawer you could pull out, slap a Ting SIM card in and just start going. I mean, for 100 bucks, why not, right? My bag is out in the car. I Actually, if I had brought my, my laptop bag in here, I would have them. I have five of them with me. so yeah i think it's a pretty cool idea but zeb you don't look convinced you don't look like you're going to be ordering one well you you guys know that i need my beauty sleep so when one actually hits the shops just wake me up (laughs) we're going to do that phone microsoft failed ubuntu failed this lineage thing that's meant to be coming out or whichever, whatever it is, it's meant to be coming out. Where is it? People have been paying $500 for this phone for the last 12 months. Where is it? Well, no, purism is a, is a totally different thing because that was a kick. Purism was a Kickstarter. They're they're designed to be coming out next year. Like they're, they announced next year is when they're coming. They're different. They're different. It's a different thing. I agree. But to his point, Everybody wants to enter the mobile world, and nobody really has done it successfully except Google and Apple. Yeah, I mean that's true. But they also—I mean—the reason they they did it is because, uh, well, essentially Google joined the next year after Apple did, and they had like they had the 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 opportunity really easily to do it because they were when they were competing with Apple, they Apple only had a year. Now you're dealing with like a decade mm-hmm. of having to having competition. And I think that this is a, a reasonable approach because they're doing it in like a very cheap cost so that they can get more people to be doing it. And maybe it could be helpful to like, um, you know, like, uh, other other countries and like non-developed countries that could Here's the can thing afford the full price missing here is the reason why Apple and Google win is because they have the most apps. They have the apps. They have the developers to put out the apps. Now, something's changing in the phone world that nobody's accounted for. And that's why I think there can be a player for the first time. And that is suddenly your phone is now as powerful as desktop computers were several years ago, meaning you're now getting quad-core processors in there. Not the same kind of quad-core, but quad-core processors Mm -hmm. you're getting you know 8 to 16 gigabytes of ram in some of these phones now you're getting to a price point where they're as expensive as computers now when you talk about apps you're talking about a phone with the ability especially on linux to run a full version of say caden live of being able to run a full version of firefox because they literally have the power now so imagine you taking that phone and you could take every open source app out there and load it onto that phone in day one with that power. Now, are you going to get that on this Pine 64 phone? No, because it's $100. 
but it could be done for the first time. I think there could be room for a third player to come in and win, and it's because of the power of the hardware that they're able to stick in your hand now. Yep. So, And also the fact that web apps are taking over. Yeah, I mean, What's don't that? get me wrong. I, was... I want them to succeed. I just don't. I just can't see it happening anytime soon. Well, I mean, the the, the, the examples you gave about Microsoft and, and Ubuntu couldn't do it. Uh, Microsoft couldn't do it because they and Firefox. Is, well, Firefox was trying to do it in a very different way. Okay, how about uh, how about the C? Uh, what was the what was the, the third one? They had a really good shot too. Um, selfish is out there. Of selfish, yeah. Selfish, yeah. selfish didn't make it. Selfish know, still man, exists though. Like it still works. Yellow still sells it in Europe and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. that the reason why Microsoft failed is because they assumed that they could use the Windows brand and then force people to be using it and have a completely <laughs> different interface <laughs> and not realize that everybody hates Windows and just use it because they have to or whatever, right. like work or yep. something. And then uh, uh, Canonical was, was unsuccessful because they wanted when they what the timing they wanted to do it. They didn't have any yeah, like not. supply lines and stuff like they had to invent things and provide like a whole system. They had to provide they had to figure out the doing manufacturing all this other stuff. Now with the Librem and with uh, potentially with this, they don't have to do all the manufacturing. They can they can outsource it into ODMs and stuff like that. So there's a potential where it actually is more likely to be doable because the the barrier to entry is a lot lower. The uh, the fact that a lot of apps well, like the, the fact people are bored to death of Android and iOS. That They're too. Boring now. It is so obscenely boring to play with an Android phone and the same thing with an iOS phone. There was actually the same junk we've been looking at for the last four years. There's no major enhancements excited outside of the hardware. They're like, Oh, the new iOS is out or the new Android's out. And you look at it like, Oh wow. They recolored the icons. Yeah. I was listening okay. to a tech podcast that was covering the Apple uh, keynote. And one of them was saying like, why do we care anymore? It's just the same phone with like a slightly different like design with a slightly more powerful hardware, which is not even as powerful as the Android phones. And take away a headphone jack and add a notch and call yeah, it a it's day. Like, they're like, why do we even care anymore? <laughs> but but my my point is is also like not only is that that hardware point you said where they're so much more powerful, um, mm-hmm. there's also a, like a a vastly uh, impactful switch to doing web apps. You can still do mobile versions in of web app form. So that like the, instead of having to make like an Android app and an iPhone app, they're just doing web, and they could still have like a wrapper that works inside of the the particular op- the OS and stuff. You know, the more I think about that, that probably has a larger play in it than um than 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 the computing power itself. And here's why: because just because you have a powerful computer doesn't necessarily mean that a site designed or an application designed for a desktop is going to work well in a mobile. I mean, imagine cramming LibreOffice Writer into a five inch screen, right? It would be pathetic. Yeah. You have to, I mean, you have to have buttons and everything. The layout UI has to be designed for, for a mobile. So the mobile site though allows you to do that because you're coding for that anyway. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, the thing that I find a little bit frustrating is where people say, you know, oh, but things haven't changed. It still looks the same as it did, um, you know, like five years ago or whatever. What do, you, what do you expect them to do? There was a podcast, well, there was a stream the other day where so we were talking about elementary and somebody said, well, elementary a couple of years ago was really, really great. It was innovative. It was new. Juno come out and it's the same. And I was like, well, what else do you expect them to do with a desktop? Do you want them to be able to? And the analogy I used was, you know, up pops uh, um, an error message. So you headbutt it back into place because it's a 3D screen. <laughs> 
It's like, what do you want them to do with the phone? Put it back in place. Yeah, but, you, you start doing the, like the punch I, out where you just kind of like when they're charging almost a thousand dollars for a phone now. I want it to be able to do be as powerful as a computer, a thousand dollar laptop. I yeah. want it to, and the only one who's doing anything even close to that is Samsung with Dex. Not that they're the first one because it was tried before by Motorola, but mm-hmm. Samsung Dex is probably the closest opportunity where they're taking the ability to plug that phone then into a monitor or a docking yep. station with a keyboard and mouse. And now that $1,000, right, that $1,000 interface now becomes a full computing interface because at this kind of money, and with mm-hmm. the little excitement that's going on in the phone OS itself, yeah, I expect you to start giving me the capabilities that I would get on a full, you know, laptop solution. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. basically the idea of the convergence from Canonical is coming to fruition thanks to these the decks from Samsung. Because right. so, that essentially yep. does exactly what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it does work exceptionally well because I used to have one until my daughter nicked my Samsung phone. But hey, that's another story. <laughs> that's story. <laughs> <laughs> so back on the um, uh, canonical uh, vein of things, they've released some more Ubuntu statistics. Um, and and I, f- I always find these really interesting because you start to read about certain things and then you think, well, is that because it's based upon this? And what would happen if that was changed? Would it, would it change the, the metrics that they're talking about? Um, but what I was pleased about was that a larger majority of users now opted to give them the, the information that they're asking for. So all this hoo-ha of, you know, canonical are spying on you, they want your information. It wasn't for that at all. It's just so that they can understand the type of machinery that's out there. So there's now 66% of the uh, people who have done a recent install allowed them to collect the data, which was great. Um, and also interesting to find out 80% of the installs were clean installs and only 20% were upgrades. Now, one of the things that I hear a lot around the community is, oh, this distro can't upgrade, that distro can't upgrade. Why do I have to upgrade every time there's a new release? Hey, 80% of you are doing it anyway, so what are you moaning about? <laughs> it's, just, you know, it's really, really strange how they all talk about, oh, it must be upgradable, but then you never do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> And some other stats that I also found interesting is that only 31% of the users have greater than five, have five gigabyte. They have five to eight gigabyte. Now, I would have thought that would have been more given the sort of plethora of machines that are out there now that sort of have eight to 16 gig. I thought, I thought 31% was quite low. Well, it could be also be like, there's a lot of people who have um, either multiple computers that they've had for a while and just don't get rid of. Or they're like um, the types where they just, if they have a machine, they'll just keep it as long as until it dies or something like that. Right. Yeah. Linux folks are very resourceful. So they're going to keep those machines running. And they're probably like most of us have multiple machines. Some of them are older, some of them are newer. You've got kind of a plethora of different options in there. Now, the one thing that shocked me was 29% of users selecting auto login. Like, you're on Linux. You're supposed to be security minded. Why do you have auto login on everything? Twenty nine percent. Okay, seventy five percent in this podcast. Because oh, no. you know, for somebody, <laughs> for somebody to get access to my machine because it's on auto login, they've got to get past me. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to do it on my laptop when oh, I take it places. Gosh. What if you're not home, Zeb? They walk in, they take all of our destination Linux top secrets, and walk no. out the house with them. 
Well, I'm not here. Those every ch- week on the podcast, so there's that. Well, but uh, <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, so we have a bunch of Linux kiosks machine. Why would I want a password on any of those? So all of those are set to auto login, as well as all the machines around here are set to log in because our security is really comes from inside of our web app. We authenticate. We have central directory is all handled inside of a web browser. Getting access to the physical machine, knock yourself out. I don't care. All you can really get to is Firefox or Chrome. This so, is why at Southeast Linux Fest, everybody was changing your wallpaper every well, time you walked away. <laughs> no. It was worse than that. Not just the wallpaper. People were, they were streaming horrible things, and they were trying to install <laughs> Mac OS on my laptop. Turned into a real show, let me tell you. Now tell me about that auto-login policy. Maybe right, when yeah. you're so in a conference. I was, saying, I, what I was trying to say was that everybody should not use auto-login. You should set a strong 8 to 12 character password that contains both upper characters, lower characters, numbers, and special characters. Yeah, there you go. That's the proper <laughs> Linux way. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I I think it's I think it's fine as long as you you know if you're on a laptop or you're going somewhere especially a conference maybe you have login set up <laughs> but Oops. Uh, but if you're but if you're like just at your house or something oh. or you're like in your office it's not a big deal if you have I uh, trust no one <clears throat> that's yeah. fair you could also have like what I do and just live inside of a vault oh that's a good idea yeah this uh, is a, so- yeah exactly. So speaking of trusting no one, uh, I don't know who trusted me to cover gaming news, but uh, Dave, <laughs> is it Damon Nine? Is that how you pronounce it? You got has it, Linux man. support, and while I'm thrilled that there is a game out there that has additional Linux support, I, as we all know, <sighs> am not much of a gamer. So I'm going to let a resident expert explain why this amazing interactive thriller blurs the lines between a movie and a game. Well, listen, we're trying. We're going to get you there. No, we're going to get you playing either a Gummy's Life or Stickman. Listen, or I'm opening Bach. Steam right now. What do I install? Yeah. I'll I buy think a game. Bach. I think we're going to play Bach tonight. We should play Bach with Noah. Yeah. I'm going to so, install it right now. It's a first person shooter. Overkill. Ballistic yeah. Overkill. Yeah, Ballistic yeah. Overkill. We're all terrible at it. So that's the game to play. But this one is really interesting because these games were really popular back in the day. I'm thinking about my IBM Blue Lightning 75 megahertz with Turbo Boost computer back in the day when we would run we would run games where they kind of tried to take a little bit of a movie and a little bit of a game and mix it together Mm -hmm. and these were very popular in those days i remember them coming out quite a bit now this is kind of coming back now with a little bit more modern graphics a little bit more of a gaming element to it but they're blurring these lines between this and a horror type game So to kind of scare you, getting you real video of these people who are maybe getting captured or that you need to go find and save as you're getting clues and you're watching clips of videos of them and what they were up to before. So this is perfect for Halloween at the end of the day. It's a perfect game out there to get into that Halloween spirit. And I enjoy these type of games because they kind of give me that nostalgia feel from back in the day. Yep, I like the movie concept. Like, there's a, a lot of movies, a lot of games back in the day for like in the mid '90s that do it did this a lot, and I like that like those. But I'm not really a fan of the horror movies, like the horror games and stuff like that. Because I mean, you scare easily and you cry when you get scared. No, well, I do that too. That's right. Are we judging people for that? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Well, Michael, I mean, how dare you? I don't. I exactly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I don't like. Uh, horror movies one because most of the time like if it's like a sci like a um, psychological horror that's interesting but if it's more like just random gore and jump scares I don't care so okay well if you're not excited about that then how about you command your own elven army and defend mystical lands from sea serpents would that get your attention Michael is it pixelated yeah 
then mm-hmm. yes. Okay, perfect. So I've got the greatest game for you then, Kingdom Rush Origins, which is also out for Linux with 414 very positive reviews. 414 people can't be wrong. Now, tower defense games are super popular. I've played them usually only on my phone. Like those are the type of mobile games I'll download, tower defense and that type of thing. I don't play them on desktop very often. But this one, if you're interested in those style of games, uh, you got tower upgrades, epic boss boss battles, hordes of enemies to defend against, new spells, 70 achievements to earn. It looks like a pretty cool game. Zeb. I purposely did not give you a pixelated game because I wanted to give you time to actually go look into the game and see if you would buy it and play it and do the proper research. What do you think, Zeb? What's the matter, Zeb? I would have thought that being as we've got an intelligent guest presenter in our midst, that we would have risen above these... um, These... I'm just so glad Ryan was able. And what gets me? They got the cheek to charge twelve pounds for this game. I mean, it's, really? It's a steal. It's less than a movie ticket. Seriously, I was so pleased that you, Ryan, will be able was able to extol its virtues because I, I was just going to simply excavate it. It's what just, is it with no. you with these words? <laughs> Well, don't you know he's from the south you slow words and talk slow you right. small words and talk slower he don't get understand all the big ones we translate it to shoot it with a shotgun no excrete it means i would have flayed it alive ah gotcha well that one i understood it's not that bad this is a good game listen these are fun games to go out there and play and uh if you're in a tower defense go check it out and the most important thing native linux release right there so they're supporting yeah. our fans I mean, I, I appreciate them supporting Linux, and, and and regardless of the style of the game, like even the horror game, that's supporting Linux. So I appreciate that immensely. Like, yep. and and I'll and I happily talk about it, even pixelated games. And mm-hmm. uh, but just, whether I like them or not doesn't matter. I still appreciate they're 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 supporting the platform. Yeah, absolutely. But I, you know, you're never going to get me to play. Them, How so. cool is it going to be to play Ballistic Overkill with Noah? Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. <laughs> <laughs> So what do we got in a software spotlight here, Michael? Well, we got a uh, an interesting application called Simple Note, and Simple Note is a yes. note taking app. It's kind of like Evernote, um, but it's it's a it's a free um, it's a free Linux based like well specifically uh, Evernote does not work on Linux, so therefore don't use it. Um, so Simple Note is a really nice way to do uh, note taking. So you can use it on your your whatever distra, uh, distra you want to use, but also you can use it on your phones with Android and Mac and iOS support and stuff like that. Um, I don't really use it that much, but I do use another product that they make called WordPress. So it's a you know it's by the same same people. So um, it's probably pretty good. And I've I've been told that uh, Ryan and Zeb, both of you use. Simple Note. I mean, Simple Note was one of those first programs I found on Linux when I was going. At this point, I think I was planning to go back to Windows when I was doing the challenge because I didn't realize I was going to fall in love with Linux. But one of the things I needed to replace was a note-taking app. I I do this for anything that I'm working on. I I usually will have a little app like Evernote up, and we'll be taking notes on something I'm working on, programming, learning, whatever I'm doing. And I want something that's very quick and is on multiple devices. Simple Note was one of the, the programs that came up that I fell in love with. I've used it all the way up until recently when I got my own NextCloud server and now I use QO Notes. 
because it's just cool to have your own server and say so. But Simple Note keeps it nice and safe and secure and it's free and it's easy. And it just has, it's worked for the last two and a half years reliably and perfect for me. So if you are looking for a simple note-taking app, I think it's one of the best one out there. Now you said Evernote doesn't make for Linux. I think there's some apps where people, of course, Linux will find a way like, I don't know, Cheese mm-hmm. Grater or whatever it calls that runs some some API of Evernote, but Simple Note supports it right out of the box. And it's worked in every distro. Uh, and again, on any phone, Android, Mac, you know, iOS, whatever you've got, it they've got a app for it. So it's a pretty cool option. Mm-hmm. Two um, things would make, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're going, please do. There's, there are two things would make Simple Note the best note-taking app ever. One is a directory structure. So allow me to organize notes into categories because what I quickly found is that Simple Note doesn't scale. You add, you start, if you have 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 sure. notes, it's fine. When you start using it for months on end and you start getting 500 notes for even one specific project and you're like, okay, mm. now how do I find anything? And the second thing is allow me to, the ability to paste a picture image into the notes because right now that doesn't that functionality doesn't exist it's true mm-hmm. yep yeah. yeah i mean the only way you could do that is to um create your category as a larger note and then paste all the notes that relate to that particular subject but then that, again that becomes messy a category you know a directory structure would be would, would be would be so much better but from somebody who didn't use notes and then whenever I'd come across, I'd reinstall the distro after six months and say, right, what did I remember from last time? I'd have to go through right. Google again. And I'd never find that perfect um, note on Google that told me how to fix this. Now I'm using Simple Note. And I mean, I don't, I don't make notes, but I think I've got about 87 entries now. Um, and that's probably minuscule compared with you guys. But it is that simple and that quick to do. And as Ryan said, it will work across all distros. Um, and it will work on your phone as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. It's a great, it's a great little tool. Yeah. And also as a bonus uh, t- tip, there's a, a one called Turtle, which is a self-hosted um, alternative to, to Evernote. Um, but it's it's uh, not as easy to set up and easy and simple to use. So Simple Note is great for people who just want to get you know get in and get it, get it done. Uh, Turtle yeah. is for people who want to have like a more like tailored approach and like very specific. You want to be frustrated way. when you write notes. That is not what I said. <laughs> so he said you wanted to make a note about being frustrated. Yes. Oh. Oh. oh okay. Yeah. That's closer. Yeah. <laughs> and what's our tip and trick of the week, Zeb? Um, well, it's another one of these ones that I've always taken for granted, but I found out recently that a couple of people um, didn't know about certain aspects of it. And when you're in a web browser, I think most people probably know that if you control plus, then the gener- generic play page will get bigger. And if you control minus, you can make it smaller again. But what I didn't realize is that after you've done your control plus 16 times because you wanted to see that particular I'm not going to do control minus 16 times to get it back to where I was because I can't remember Which what, is it was. what I used to do. <clears throat> you actually just do a control zero mm-hmm. and you go back to your default browser setting. Now, if you'd set so your default within the browser at 125%, it will go back to 125%. If you've just left it at naturally 100%, then it will go back to your 100%. So no more pluses and minuses, uh, Ryan, just do a control 
plus Z. I knew that, Zeb. I don't know why you're telling me specifically. <laughs> of course I knew that. I'm a computer expert, Zeb. To, to dovetail onto that, uh, control and scroll works as well to yep. make something bigger or smaller. And uh, so oh. what I find is I find pre- you were talking about pressing 16 times. I find that to be obnoxious no matter which direction I'm going. So mm-hmm. control and whoop, that's about the right size. Yep. Uh, I, I, I find myself doing that all I the use time. the mouse scroll most more than the, the, sh- the shortcut commands and the, yeah, the key, key bindings. Um, but there's like so controls will uh, control zero will still work and I think this is actually interesting because I'm not sure if you planned it but this beautifully f- ties into the email from the beginning of the show and yes. yeah, yeah and also uh, it also ties into a plasma plug because plasma has an ability to do super uh, plus minus and zero to uh, zoom into the desktop so you can do it at any point yeah, in i3 we have super duper I'm, well, super in hey, the sense uh, of that other key. Is that, is that super shift? <laughs> how do you get back to? How do you get? How do you get back out? Because I it zoomed in. It should be super zero the same way. Nope. Negatory. Oh, if you, oh. If, okay. This is one. This is if it's not set Good up by job, default. Plasma. Some some distros don't do it by default. But if it doesn't by default, you just hit super and then minus and just hold it down until it goes back to oh, normal. Okay. So then it'll it'll, it'll stop. This is so cool. Do you know how much I'm going to use the heck out of this? Do you know how (laughs) how cool I can make tutorials? Look at this. Here we're going to click on this icon. Whoop! Look at that. (laughs) I use I I, I sometimes use it in demonstrations, (laughs) but uh, it's a really it's a really nice feature as well. Cool. So and that's actually quite a cool cool thing to um, end the show on. So we've reached the end of another show um, and I'd like to say thank you very much to Noah again for yes. coming along and giving us his, his expertise and insights um, into the items. Um, and Ryan will go for the traditional patron. There you go. And, uh, well, a big thank you to each and every one of you for continuing to support this show, watching, listening, however you do it. Noah, we got you for two weeks straight, man. <laughs> That's talking about giving our patrons some love here and giving them something special. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's yeah. always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And we want to say we love our patrons. So thank you guys for all of your support. Thanks for joining us live, keeping us entertained. And you get to hang out with us after the show. And I'm sorry for that. But <laughs> So Zeb, and, how can they get a hold of us? Well, we now, we now come back to the, to the Zeb part of the show. And you've had two weeks off. Okay. So I'm sure, I'm sure the other guys were all very nice and polite when asking you <laughs> to send in the emails. Yeah. So you will send in the emails. You okay? will. Otherwise, Zeb's going to come and get you. Love it. We, yep. we want to know what you think about the show. We want you to let us know how you use Linux. Give us your comments, good or bad. We can take the criticisms. We've talked about them before, and we'll, and we'll take them on the chin, and then we'll just move on. So send your comments through to uh, comments at destinationlinux.org. You can add them to the bottom of the YouTube videos. You can add them, if you're a patron, onto the patron page. And then you can go across to... Um, the section on our website that's uh, the contact and there you'll find all the information about google plus twitter mastodon and the 16 other million things that michael has <laughs> told us about and, and provided us links to yep but, well, we're, we're going to be on plurk next <laughs> so that's a thing so really the the uh, the the positive comments go to comments at destination linux.org the negative ones they go to michael at destination linux.org exactly we don't uh, want to okay. hear it no 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 <laughs> Let him deal with it. Okay. And Michael, what do people need to do? They need to keep liking that smash button. Indeed. 
And also, uh, of course, you know, share the uh, show on uh, your social media things as well, and, and rate in their in the podcast you use to rate and review. It would help us and help grow the show and things like that. Uh, but anyway, it's a it's a great thing to uh, be able to go to the, the destinationlinux.org slash contact and see all of the great opportunities to follow the podcast with Mastodon and Discord and uh, Di- Diaspora, everything. We, if, we, oh if, you've, if you've heard of it, down. it's probably there. <laughs> and if you haven't heard of it, it's probably there too. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. So here we go then, everybody. Um, the final parts of the show. So Ryan, can you just remind people again the benefits if they become a patron, what they can get and how cheap it is. It's darn near free. It's only a dollar and you could come hang out with us live, which you get to see all of our mistakes. So become a patron. There you go. Sounds good. So everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.